Go to everydaynovelist.com slash support to join the madness. <laughs> Welcome to the Everyday Novelist. My name is J. Daniel Sawyer, author of nearly 30 books, more than 30 short stories, and numerous articles and scripts and essays, coming to you from up in the crow's nest with my spyglass on this daily voyage through the dicey waters of business, craft, learning, and art in the writing life. Today we have feedback from Rose on question 1025. Rose says, I added the following very long comment to the webpage for episode uh, 1028. Oh, 1028? Okay. Yeah, Charles's question. Okay. Not sure how many see that since most probably just get th- just get episodes through the podcast feed. Don't worry, we're putting it on the show. Feel free to record it as feedback and critique it. You're way ahead of me. As a 30-year veteran of writing code and prose, I feel very qualified to add to your advice for Charles's question 1028, writing with a full-time Writing with a full-time life, that's the one it was, yes. Your two suggestions of dictation and finding remote work were among my initial reactions. The following are perhaps the things that shouldn't be said. Uh-oh, I love things that shouldn't be said. Hit me. If the intention is to replace the code writing job with novel writing, you might as well give up now. Programming is more in demand than ever, and until the AI takes over, I see no end to that. I purposefully get myself fired almost annually with the intention of taking time off to write, and I always have a new job lined up much too soon. (laughs) It's good money and job security in a very uncertain world. Focusing on financially setting up the earliest retirement possible will be the best path towards full-time writing for possible profit. Two, if you don't have a passion for writing that supersedes your obligations of family, work, pets, etc., you will never be a full-time writer, so you might as well give up now. Dread and exhaustion are not words associated with something you are passionate about. Unless, unless, I've got to jump in here because she asked for critique, unless you've got a problem with perfectionism. Mm. Um, And that is a really good point. If you're dreading it, you need to look at why you're dreading it. Are you dreading it because you don't think you're going to be good enough? Then the problem, it could be that you're not sufficiently motivated, or it could be that you're forgetting that what you're doing is playing. This has to be play. Even when it's deadly serious, it has to be play. Because the level of self-exposure required, as uh, you know, uh, Philippa Ballantyne calls writing dancing on the roof naked, um, Ernest Hemingway said that writing is easy, all you have to do is sit at a keyboard and bleed. You know, there's a real, there, there is a level of vulnerability that we experience when we're telling a story that really comes from the core of us. No matter how frivolous that story is, no matter what the audience will wind up seeing of us, there's a level of vulnerability in the creative process that is very, very threatening. And a lot of people cope with that by getting perfectionistic. And if that's what's happening, it might be that you don't have enough passion to overcome that resistance, or it might be that you just have to overcome that resistance because that's what you need in order to be happy otherwise in life, and writing can be therapy. But you have to uh, engage with your writing as play rather than as 
job performance. There's two kinds of performance. There's the kind of performance you do when you're standing up in a crowd full of drunken friends and telling them the story about that time you got arrested in high school and you got a good one over on the cop or something. That's the kind of performance you want to be doing. The kind of performance you do when you stand before a review board and argue that you deserve to keep your job even though they're cutting the bottom 10% of the employees and they're interviewing everybody to make them justify the luxury of working at this place. That's a different kind of performance. That's not play. That's not the kind of performance you can get good art out of. Now, there are some great artists, Douglas Adams leaps chiefly to mind, for whom writing is like pulling teeth. And it's like pulling teeth because it is so hard for them to let go of their perfectionism long enough to play that it takes elaborate rituals and they make very slow progress. But they do get there, which is why their work is great. So, um, anyway, uh, sorry for cutting you off, Rose. Please continue. Dread and exhaustion are not words associated with something you are passionate about. Every sentence of your question seems filled with reasons you can't write. Pets, long commute, longer workday, kids, etc. Almost seems as if you have constructed a life that serves as a scapegoat for your failure to write. Now that's, there's something really interesting in there too, because there are people that we both know, um, Kitty and I, who have as this far-off dream, I want to be an artist, I want to be a writer, I want to be a musician, whatever. And they leave that to last because it's the fantasy of that as the ultimate escape that actually keeps them going. And so touching it is dangerous because the fantasy might crumble or it might turn out to be less of a romantic escape than they expect. And so they put obstacles in their way to keep that from happening. And if your writing has this totemic sense for you, um, it's worth sitting down and having a long conversation with yourself, maybe several long conversations over a few weeks, where you suss out where the symbolic value of writing ends and where the actual ambition and desire begins. You have to be willing... It's like um, almost everyone I know had that that perfect crush in high school. The one that they didn't ever want to approach. They were in love with them from afar and they didn't want to approach the object of their affection because what if they say no? It's easier to imagine the perfect romance if you don't ever threaten it with reality. Because there's what if they say no and that's horrible but then there's what if they say yes? If they say yes... Then I'm going to get to know them. Then I will. Then I'll spend enough time with them that I'll realize that they fart sometimes, or that they have bad breath, or that they're not the person that I have imagined them to be. None of this is conscious, except for maybe the what if they say no part, or the what if they say yes, then what will I do? But this is all roiling under the surface. And if Rose is on to something here, 
then one of the things that might be going on is that your writing might have a totemic value to you that has you have to actually be willing to destroy the totem in order to pursue the reality. Just like when you fall in love and get married to someone, a big part of that process is destroying the idealized version of them that you fell in love with and learning to love the version of them that's real, that you're in touch with every day. And relationships that do not cross that bridge fail. And they often fail ugly. This might be easier to take than the more common worry that your writing will not be good enough. None of our writing is good enough until it is. Rose, we're on the same wavelength. (laughs) Finding stolen moments in a day of obligation is never going to work. Writing can't be your lowest priority. It has to be up at the top like a sick child or making whoopee. Sure, you need to earn a living to support your family, but if you don't have savings and a support network, you shouldn't have had kids yet. If your partner does not support and encourage your writing, you might as well give up now. If they see it as taking precious time away from them, you are taking precious time away from them. Happy spouse, happy house. But that goes both ways. You should be asking them how you can find the time, not Dan. Yeah, that's very true. I covered this in uh, chapter one or two of Becoming an Everyday Novelist uh, in some very stark language, and it might be worth picking that up and reading that. It's uh, it's not too much. I think the book is like 10 or 12 bucks in paperback and four or five in ebook. Um, and if you support the channel, you will find that in the past rewards there is a download of the ebook version for free. Um, Gumroad is the easiest way to get access to past rewards, by the way. Those of you on Patreon and Subscribestar do have access to them, but you have to dig through the blog, and it's a bit of a pain. Or you can email me, and I'll send you links. In re-listening to Charles's question, I noticed he did not specifically mention a spouse, and he did say that he makes dinner. Apologies if single, full-time parenthood is your situation. Mm. Even more reason to find a work-from-home position. Good point. Never ever give up writing, even if you hate it sometimes. Creativity is the best path to happiness ever devised by the chemicals that organize into the illusion of human consciousness. (laughs) The above advice admonishment is intentionally harsh. You need to completely change how you think about writing if you intend to enjoy it. If you love writing, you will find the time. Don't think of it as an alternative career. Think of it as a hobby that helps you escape the crappy parts of life most code monkeys have to endure. That's very good advice. Additional advice, writing on the job. I once wrote around 40,000 words over six months sitting at my desk while being paid to code a B2B interface. (laughs) Worse than stealing office supplies? Maybe. It was 15 minutes here, a half hour there. Coffee breaks and socializing time that an introvert has no need of. Most coders are on salary, not punching a clock. Most of your job is being paid to think and solve problems, not type and mouse click. You are probably coding on your commute, at the dinner table, and while you sleep. Don't feel guilty about stealing back some of that time from them. Just like writing stories is rarely done in eight-hour chunks, breaking up the programming day with some outside-of-the-box thinking is beneficial for everyone. Good point. I almost guarantee you will arrive home with much less such a dayness if you spend some of it writing creatively. 
If you feel guilty about it, just go to work 15 to 30 minutes early and spend those minutes writing down the ideas that filled your head on your commute. Mm. Don't write on the company computer. Have a very portable laptop or, or tablet for your writing and back it up daily. Some more don'ts that may help. Don't sit waiting for the perfect sentence to form in your head. <laughs> no Write shit. the almost good enough one and move on. There are dozens of revisions ahead where it can be improved. Don't feel the need to only write one story. You don't have, to con- you don't have a contract with a deadline. Enjoy the freedom of that and write whatever your mind has moved towards. Don't write more than notes on a notepad unless you have someone willing to do the transcription for you. Don't watch TV because you are too exhausted to write. Writing is the TV that is exactly what you want to watch. Much better use of your time. Turn on the digital recording device and tell your kids stories. Children's YA books are a very big market, and you have beta readers you don't have to pay under your roof. They will likely remember that most when it is your turn to wear diapers. It's true, and I should point out that uh, there is a very famous novel that was exactly written that way, and it was The Hobbit. Mm. The Hobbit evolved from stories that Tolkien was telling his children at night. There was also um, another book he wrote, which is far less well-known, which is also delightful and aimed at a much younger audience called Roverandom, which was also a story that Tolkien told his kids, which which they loved so much he told it over and over till he basically had it memorized, and so he jotted it all down for potential publication, and it got lost in his notes, and his son published it decades later. But it's a delightful story, and that's a really good point. You can tell your kids stories and then turn them into books. And, and last piece of advice, don't listen to any advice unless it actually helps. Go through all the advice you've received and purge the worst of it. Most importantly, never stop writing. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Rose. That is fantastic. I hope, Charles, that it is useful to you. We might have one or two more feedback. The audience came through for you in a huge way. And hopefully you'll find some of their stuff uh, very useful. Good luck, and we'll see you tomorrow. The Everyday Novelist is written by J. Daniel Sawyer and presented by J. Daniel Sawyer and Kitty McKeon and is produced by Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. The text is copyright 2021 J. Daniel Sawyer and the production is copyright 2021 Artistic Whispers Productions Incorporated. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License and all other rights are reserved to their respective owners. Join the conversation. Submit a question, leave a comment, or a creative death threat. Or find me at jdsawyeronminds.com or hit me at feedback at jdsawyer.net. We can't do it without you. Dateline. The future. Humankind stretches out to the stars. Maybe they go on generation ships. Maybe they live on space stations. Maybe terraforming bases dominate the worlds of tomorrow. In these hostile places, only two things seem certain. With people come conflicts. And in manufactured environments, the wrong kind of conflict will damage your air supply. So forget regular guns, needle lasers, ray guns, and anything else that can screw up your habitat. 
I want stories where the violence and conflict depend on ingeniously adapting ancient weapons to future environments, where this technological shift solves old social problems and creates new ones, and where cultures and religions arise around those weapons and provide them contexts, both accepted and outlaw, within their societies. Give me swashbucklers, knife fighters, booby trappers, baton wielders, pirates, mafiosos, Robin Hoods, cops, priests, robbers, fugitives, and assassins. Give me swords in space. This is a paying market. Submit your story to editor at everydaynovelist.com. Be sure to use the phrase swords in space in the subject line. 8,000 words maximum, 2,000 words minimum. See you on the slush pile.